Hey, it's Mal. And Maddie, and this is Smatter of Fact. Smatter of Fact. Just two best friends dabbling and speaking with superficial knowledge on our subjects. In other words, a smattering of facts. You know what? what? <laughs> it was just funny because I said smatter of fact, and then you were like, smatter of fact afterward. <laughs> My mom suggested that we. It's take- hard to get in sync. She. <laughs> She suggested that we take one of our good runs of us saying the intro and just pop it in the beginning of every intro. And I was like, hmm, what That's too idea. smart. It's too smart. Why would or we- just one of us says it because we can never get in sync on Zoom. <laughs> That's true. There's always going to be a lag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I bought your birthday present today. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My birthday is like four months away. <laughs> I was at the store looking for sushi and I didn't have any. I got ramen instead from a restaurant. Um, but I found your birthday present and I bought it. Wow. Only did I buy it. I bought or did I, not only did I buy it, I bought it. Um uh, I saw Do you I have the bag? I bought it. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, also this week I saw the movie A Man Called Otto with Tom Hanks in it. It was really good. Is that a new movie? Yeah. It's like out in theaters currently. Um, I didn't know he was still acting. Of course. It's Tom Hanks. I feel like he's just gonna act until he dies. Um, but it was really good. I cried several times. Several times. I can't even like watch anything without crying anymore. I read the the book. The book was originally written in like a different language, so it has like a different title originally. Um, and I read the book like a long time ago. Um, but the movie was really. I watched Avatar, the <gasps> first one for the first time. Oh, the first one! I love the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. Neither have I. We're just gonna wait till it comes on Disney yes. Plus or whatever. Same. I need to be able to um, pause it so that I can right because it's like really long. Eat snacks mm. without missing anything. Yeah, but I had like never seen the movie like from start to finish. I've only ever seen like the first like hour of it or so. I don't know why. Mm. I've like tried watching it like three times in my life and just cried. never I got past like this one part. Did you? Cry? Did I cry? I cried. I cried. Um, I, I think so. I got like a little teary eyed. I don't think I actually cried at that one. Oh, but... It's so. Yeah, I was sad. It is sad. It's it's so. Okay. I was I was actually more angry. Like at the end, when yeah. everything was like going down, I was just like, <laughs> Yeah, I was, they like, really, really mad. Something for this like fictional world. I know. Yeah, they I know. I know. Brandon and I watched the first Avatar together. I mean, like I had seen it before. He had never seen it, so we watched the first Avatar, and then I'm waiting to see the second one with him. Apparently they are gonna make like five or like three yeah, more. That's what I heard. And like, I was like, I think they like filmed the third one. <laughs> I think they like filmed the second one. Over yeah. I thought I read somewhere that they filmed like the second and the third at the same time. So they already have like the third one all filmed. Really? That's interesting. Or at least was it that? Was it I think Either that or they, like, have all the scripts already written out. Hmm. Like, they wrote, like, all four sequels, like, all of the scripts. I'm just saying so they even though cause It takes a long time. Like, it takes a really long time for them to be made, obviously, with all the special effects. But, like, because they, like, just went through and wrote out all the scripts, then, like, the characters, like, the actors could see, like, kind of how their character is going to, like, develop or whatever. And then they... I guess it would help them act. Just but imagine your character dies. Like, I just thought that was interesting. The first 10 minutes of the third movie, you're just like, oh. I know. That's it for this character. <laughs> I know. I hope I'm not lying. I'm pretty sure it was about Avatar when I was That's like wild. looking at that. Because I was like, wow, they already, they're already, like, it took them so long to do like a sequel and they're already like planning on doing like five movies, like, or having five movies at the end of it. Hmm. But yeah, Avatar 3 is already set for 2024. Like, whoa that's like really soon Mm -hmm. 
It took him a whole decade yeah, they're... to make a second one. I know. Wild. What a time. Imagine yeah, it's already filmed. Okay, yeah, I was right. I was right. Oh, it is Avatar 3 filmed. is already filmed. Yeah, they already, they just, they're just doing the went for it. Wow. That's wild. That's so cool. How exciting. Yeah. Um, In other news, tomorrow, I guess, today when this comes out, it just depends on when you're listening to it. Around this time that you're listening to it, unless you're listening to it years from the future when we're rich and famous because of this podcast <laughs> um brandon and i have been dating for one year like official dating tomorrow. oh yay yeah so cute that is my exciting i thought you were good <laughs> i thought That's you were all. getting into like the <laughs> the topic of the podcast nope <laughs> which is also about tomorrow <laughs> oh well yeah I, well technically it's about today Tomorrow's just the observed day. So. Oh, yeah, the, you're right. I am. You are right. <laughs> um, I the only literally the only reason I know that too. And this is funny because no one, I everyone knows what we're talking about, but like we haven't actually said it yet. The only reason I know that is because like the school that I like teach, uh, dance out of has like a little slideshow presentation in one of the hallways and it had like little fun facts about holidays in January popping up and I was like huh I didn't know that but now I do and I'm never gonna lose that information <laughs> what other holidays in January are there I don't know there's like, like a lot of like like there's Chinese New Year which is next weekend um and there was like some like maybe Indian thing very like obscure Thing for us in this hmm. world western world um but yeah they were just like little like other holidays that happen around the world and stuff for like the students to see and learn i was like that's cool well, that's cool yeah what's in february besides valentine's uh singles know. awareness day <laughs> Ooh, what's that february 16th or 15th the 15th yeah oh my gosh of course fat tuesday mm-hmm. yep Anyway, anyway, we're talking about um Nothing January, and so we are talking about obviously Martin Luther King Jr. Woo If you clicked you on this episode, you already knew. This is actually funny. I know. We like we're looking at things, and Maddie like, actually already knew this time too. I did. That's what I was gonna say. Is we were looking at things ahead of time, trying to like plan out some episodes, and we were like, oh, we have like an, the release date falling right on MLK Day, so. We thought this would be fun and it was Mallory's turn to do the topic so here we are yeah and like again when we like do this sort of stuff like I'm like I already like know like so much about MLK like right. what else is there to learn and I like learned a bunch of stuff I'm, which I'm I don't know because I was also like I feel like a lot of people know about him and like I know I know about but I feel like I'm gonna be very surprised because I definitely like I feel like I definitely like learned some things or like just didn't know or just forgot or something but great yeah so let's crack into it for anyone who doesn't know or is from a different country or whatever we'll give you some slack I guess no slack because this is (laughs) you have to know all of America famous American figures historical figures (laughs) so martin luther king jr was a minister and a social activist who played a key role in the american civil rights movement from the the mid 1950s until (laughs) sorry (laughs) my brain (laughs) i have like a stroke there um until his assassination in 1968 on april 4 yeah maddie's spitting out the dates um his birthday was January he, 15th. Which is when we're recording it. So it, happy birthday. That's why it's on, on MLK Days on his birthday. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't gone there yet. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I just so a couple more key just like facts about him. He sought equality and human rights for African Americans through peaceful protest. And he was the driving force between um famous events like the Montgomery Bus Boycott and the 1963 March on Washington. Yes. So, he was born on January 15th, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. I still and fathom, like, years. 
1928. That's almost 100 years ago now. Yeah, that's crazy. That's, like, that's 94 years ago. That's... Oh, and by the way, he was born the same year as Anne Frank. Oh, yeah. That, that fact always... That fact always blows my mind. Oh, my gosh. I forgot all of that. And he wasn't actually born with the name Martin Luther King Jr. Really? Did you know that? No, yeah. I didn't know that. So... He and his father was actually just um, named Michael King. So Michael King Sr. and Michael King Jr. Huh. Well, but then you... his oh. father... What? I was going to ask what? what happened. Well, in <laughs> his father was like a pastor. And in 1934, he like traveled around like Germany um, and all those and like just a bunch of like European countries and stuff. And... Um, he became inspired by the Protestant Reformation leader, Martin Luther, right. which, I mean, is obviously, like, who he's named after. Right. But, um, so he, like, came back to the States, and then he was like, I want to change my name to Martin Luther King instead of Michael King. And because, like, he and his son had the same name, and he wanted to keep, like, the senior junior, he, like, changed his name and his son's name. Oh, and his son was five years old at the time when his name changed. <laughs> What? So Martin Luther King. I mean, I was originally people like not naming their babies for like a month or two after they're born, which I first off like, why are we waiting that long? Like, what do you call it, the baby? Um, but like five years old, he definitely would have remembered. Old? Like, like you definitely know your name at five. Yeah, and then he was, <laughs> and his parents were just like, "No, your name's not Michael anymore. <laughs> You're actually Martin Luther." Oh no, that's just like I've never heard that before. No. Huh. That just seems like a crazy. I don't know. I mean that's wild. At least it wasn't like too much of it. I don't know. Michael to Martin. Were, like, was, at least it wasn't yeah. like when he was like in school yet where they were like, We've enrolled him as Michael, but actually we are changing his name as his parents. Yeah. Yeah. But I just like kinda wonder like how his like mom felt about that. <laughs> like your husband comes home. From like a trip, and he's like, "I'm changing my name and my son's name." <laughs> I'm so interested why his father felt the need to like change his name too. Like you can like really respect someone, but you don't have to like take I know their name. I know. I don't know. I that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So like I said, like, and all his his... Dad, sorry, just oh. one more question on this topic. Was his oh, yeah. dad just like because his dad was also older? I'm assuming. And so right. when he, after he changed his name, when people were like, oh, hey, Mike, what's going on? He's like, actually, it's Martin now. Like, <laughs> I, like I know, know that changing like... your name is not like a weird thing to do. Like a lot of people do that. But it's just such like a, right. like, there's, there was, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of like concrete reason behind it. It was like the time I, my sister insisted on going by her middle <laughs> name and pretended that she was British. Um for like two years i don't remember wait was that like when you guys came to middle school yeah Mm -hmm. and we were all like why first off why are why are we needing to call you by your middle name yeah she tried to she like tried to convince everyone that she was british no no she did she did she and at home she she did convince a long time that is so funny goodness gracious i forgot about that (laughs) anyway (laughs) that felt so okay okay so his father was now Martin Luther King Sr. and he was a pastor and his mother was Alberta Williams King and she was a school teacher at one point um and then he had an older sister Christine and a younger brother Alfred Daniel Williams which I kind of thought it was I don't know why didn't the girl get multiple names yeah like they all have everyone else a lot of names they're just like this is Martin Luther King oh that's just Christine (laughs) this is Christine. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so MLK was a gifted student and he actually graduated high school at age 15. Wow. And then he went Yeah, and then he went right into college, which was Morehouse College. Um, I looked it up. I think it's um an all men's college specifically. I think I'm not so um like historically, like also like an African American school too. Oh. And it was his father and grandfather's alma mater. Oh, legacy. And so, 
Right. So he got into college at 15 and then he received his bachelor's degree at 19. Oh my god. So like when most people are like going into college, he already like had his four-year degree. Yep. And then um so I think that d- the bachelor's degree was he like studied medicine and law or something. Hmm. But um Morehouse's president at the time, Dr. Benjamin Mays, influenced him with like theology and like racial equality. So he's really inspired by that and ended up going into um, Crozier Crozier Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. And there he got a Bachelor of Divinity degree and was elected president of his um, predominantly white senior class. So that was like a big, really, a big, really big accomplishment. Yeah. And then he went to School of Theology. So he just like did all the school. He just. (laughs) So he got like two bachelor's degrees. And then he. Yeah, and then he went to the School of Theology at Boston um, University, earning a doctorate in systematic theology in 1953. So he literally got his doctorate at 25 years old. Okay. <laughs> I feel so unaccomplished. I'm, I'm like, I'm over here. I, I, feel, I have a degree in dance performance. And oh my gosh. I feel like I barely got a bachelor's degree at 22. Like I oh don't, I like sometimes don't believe that I actually have like a degree. And then I'm like, oh, you know, I actually do have one of those. That's kind of funny. I know. I know. It's like sitting in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where mine is, to be honest. Oh, my goodness. So while he was at Boston at the ripe age of 25, um, earning his doctorate, he met Coretta Scott a young singer from Alabama who was studying at the New England Conservatory of Music. Wow. And they, like, read, they read, they wed, um, like, right away in 1953, I guess, and settled in Montgomery, Alabama. So, where, okay, so they left Boston and went back home to Alabama. Yeah. Um, Is that where he was from, too? He Alabama. was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, Georgia. Um, and then King became pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And they had four children, Yolanda, Denise King, Martin Luther King III. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was like, what if I had they to just... change his name? I know, exactly. They gave him that right away. <laughs> Dexter Scott King and Bernice Albertine King. So Did all of them got three names. For their church? Oh, yeah, I guess they... I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I mean, go off yeah but like the church is also named after a street i don't know man um you know and i guess your kid what you want to name your kid just don't change their name when they're five i know (laughs) oh my goodness um so unfortunately like his kids were subjected to death threats a lot um because of his career as an activist and um, to put in like perspective, his oldest Yolanda was twelve when her father was killed. So they're all like oh pretty. They're all pretty young. Yeah. Um, but like despite that, all four of the children, and eventually one grandchild, followed in his footsteps with activism, public speaking, and like some ministry. So they really all just like grew up and I don't know, raised him right. I guess. Yeah, he set the example and. They followed in his footsteps. Yeah. Okay. So, 1953, and he gets probably married. also oh. not just him, his wife as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, his wife is awesome. Someone I think had to raise the kids after he died. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she was very involved too. So in 1953, they got married, and then 1954 is when like the Brown versus Board of Education happened, mm-hmm. which is Supreme Court case in which the justices justices ruled unanimous oh my gosh i can't talk today unanimously that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional so that was really good yeah um and then december 19 what i said it took them long enough i know so then like the next year december 1955 was when rosa parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger on a montgomery bus and was arrested so basically like they got married and like all this like stuff happened and really like the rest of his life but just like so many events happened it was yeah yeah it's almost like not not that long after they got married that he died so yeah so 
so I don't know I feel like like they get married and then all this like major stuff happens like that's like a lot of strain on the marriage and like just kudos to them for just having I don't know sticking through it I guess Mm-hmm. and just like supporting each other <clears throat> um so four days after rosa parks um refused to give up her seat was when a bus boycott happened that lasted for 381 days um i know some may call it the montgomery boys bus boycott oh actually all people probably yep. would call it that probably and so obviously like that put a severe economic strain on the public transit system and downtown business owners and it was regarded as the first, like, large-scale U.S. demonstration against segregation. Um, and so what kind of, like, ended this boycott was in November 1956, the Supreme Court rules um, that segregated seating on public buses is unconstitutional. So they definitely made their point. And it's interesting to me that they were like, it's unconstitutional for kids to be segregated in school. However... The buses, they still have to be separated. I know. Yeah. Like like I feel like those two things are like pretty similar. Like if you're gonna have kids be in school with each other, then adults mm. can surely ride a bus together. I know. I know. They really had to like chip away at it like bit by bit. It wasn't just like, okay, segregation across the no. board is bad, like or banned or Yeah. Slowly so process. Yeah. So this was like around um when this is like when like mlkj gained national attention and the following january his home was actually firebombed by white supremacists good which i can't even imagine that's terrifying like and they probably had like young kids too yeah all the kids are super young if any were born yeah maybe a couple of them and i just can't even oh imagine my that gosh um and then his he was actually um had like at least one assassination attempt before he was actually um assassinated so in september of 1958 um this this girl <laughs> this woman this piece of trash honestly um oh, okay. i don't even know how to pronounce her name isola isola where curry trash it doesn't matter yeah we're just gonna call her curry because that's her last name okay um so King was signing books in a department store and she like walks in and she was like, are you Martin Luther King? And when he replied, yes, without warning, she leans over the desk and plunges a seven inch pen knife into King's chest <gasps> with such force that it snapped the handle on it. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And bystanders like restrained the woman um, until she could get arrested and she's just like, I've been after him for six years. I'm glad I'd done it. She shouted. Oh, oh my gosh. That's terrifying. And amid the chaos and screaming, King remained conscious and calm as a bloodstain spread on his white shirt. And he literally was just like, that's all right. Everything is going to be all right. Which oh. is like, I <laughs> I could never. <laughs> uh, sir, you were just stabbed. Like, and he literally was panic a little bit. He was literally counseling frantic supporters who debated whether or not to pull out the penknife. Like, he just took it as, like, an opportunity well, to, like, counsel I feel like, them. please leave it in. It is holding my blood inside of my body. <laughs> I'd be yelling at everyone. <laughs> Do not take it out of me. Yeah, so luckily no one did because it could have been fatal. Um, yeah. Because it turned out the blade, like, the tip of the blade was a fraction of an inch away from his aorta. Oh my gosh. So literally like right she, in the heart. She had good aim. So he survived and he said that the attempted assassination only reinforced his dedication to nonviolence. That is so that is being a bigger human. Yeah, for sure. He's like this really just um he said deepened my faith in the revel- relevance of the spirit of nonviolence. Um if necessary social change is peacefully to take place. Wow um so like around that like same time when that happened and i think a little before that happened um he founded the southern christian leadership conference sclc in 1957 along with other civil rights activists and like ministers and their motto was not one hair on one head of one person should be harmed and he would remain 
um, in this like organization until his death. So when he was president of it, he traveled across the country. Wait, oh yeah, across the country and around the world, and he just like was giving all these like lectures and and just like nonviolent protests, um, just like meeting with like religious figures, activists, political leaders, um, and actually he got to go to India in 1959 and met family members and followers of Gandhi. Wow. And he described Gandhi in his autobiography as the guiding light of our technique of nonviolent social change. Wow. So he was like traveling the world. He all he like wrote several books and like articles. It was just speaking and yeah, just like trying to change the world essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um I like feel like back like during like that time when all of that kind of stuff was going down it had to take a lot of like resilience to continue and to like be consistent with it you know yeah wow yeah for sure especially like when you have like four kids and everything too yeah um it would be very easy just to be like i need to be a dad like that's what's mm -hmm. important right now yeah um in 1960, King and his family moved back to Atlanta, where he joined his father as co-pastor of um, Ebenezer Baptist Church. And even though he like was like, I'm going to be a pastor at this church now, it did not stop his um, he and his SCLC colleagues from becoming key players in many of the most significant civil rights battles of the 1960s, so... He was yeah. just doing all the things. Very busy. Yes, very busy. Um, their philosophy of nonviolence was put to a particularly severe test during the Birmingham campaign of 1963. And that's when he was arrested. Um, I guess that was like his 13th arrest. I think at the end of his life, he had been, uh, I think like he was, had, he had gone to jail for 29 times. Wow. Like the end of his life. So it's crazy. Um, but it was from like this jail cell that he wrote like letter from Birmingham jail. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. which was like obviously really famous and like really long too. I think it was like seven thousand words or something. Oh my god, that's um that's a novel. <laughs> I know. Maybe um, a short story. Yeah. So he basically like he turned the criticism back upon both the nation's religious leaders and more moderate-minded white Americans um basically just saying like you're sitting passively on the sidelines yeah while we're risking everything for change mm -hmm. um yeah so it's kind of like a wake-up call and then so he was released from jail on april 20th so he was arrested on april 12th so and then released on april 20th so he was in there for a little over a week yeah it's five days before your birthday yes yes it is um and he didn't leave stop for a minute when he <laughs> um got out of jail so like in later in 1963 um is when he sorry i like lost my place it was when the march on washington happened mm -hmm. so he worked with a number of civil rights and religious groups to organize this march on washington um and it was like a peaceful political rally designed to shed light on the injustices Black Americans continue to face across the country. Uh, it was held on August 28th, and about like 200 to 300,000 people participated. Yeah, I've and, seen pictures from it. It is, yeah, there's a lot of people there. And it's regarded as like like a very key moment in the history of American civil rights. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it was like a factor in the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So a bunch of speakers came, such as the NAACP President Roy Wilkins, um, John Lewis of the Student of Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or I think they call it SNCC, but I don't really SNCC. I remember saying that in school, SNCC. Um, but I also just love saying NAACP. I think that just it just kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> There's also like musical performances and um, actors Aussie Davis and Ruby D spoke, which I had to look up who they were because I had never really heard anything about them. Yeah. But I guess they were so they were like a celebrity couple that were married for over 50 years. Oh. And 
um a quote from like their like biography or something i think it was their biography or it was like a documentary about them um said that Ossie Davis and Ruby D are legendary stars of the American stage, television, and film. A beloved and revered couple cherished not just for their acting artistry, but also for their lifelong commitment to civil rights, family values, and the black community. Get it. And they're just they're just like a really cute couple. Yeah. Especially with all that to back them up. I know. So MLKJ agreed to speak last. And his speech was scheduled to be four minutes long, but he ended up speaking for 16 minutes. <laughs> um, Sounds like a typical pastor. <laughs> yeah. So standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, it would become one of the most famous orations of the civil rights movement and of human history, really, um, that has become known as the I Have a Dream speech. Mm-hmm. And I guess the famous line, like, I have a dream, wasn't actually part of King's plan, um, like, speech that day. And after leading into King's speech with the classic spiritual, I've been buked and I've been scorned, the gospel star, I think it's, oh gosh, is it Mahalia Jackson? You're asking the wrong person. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, but um, so like she sang, I guess, and then she stood behind the civil rights leader on the podium, um, King on the podium. And at one point during his speech, she called out to him, tell him about the dream, Martin, tell him about the dream. And she was referring to, like, I guess, a familiar theme he had referenced in, like, earlier speeches. Mm -hmm. And so that's when he kind of launched into, like, the I have a dream, I still have a dream um, towards the end of his speech, I think it was. And yeah, so from there, he built to his dramatic ending in which he announced the tolling of the bells of freedom from one end of the country to the other. And just a really, if you've never read that speech, it is very oh, inspiring. Go listen to that speech. Yeah, listen, listen to it. it. Go listen to it. Like him speaking it it's is so like powerful. very powerful. Yeah. Um, I don't know, should I read some of it? Sure. I'll like, I'll like skip to like kind of the end where he starts talking about like, I have a dream. He like repeats um, that phrase with like a bunch of, like a lot of times with different, um, I don't know, different. <laughs> different things following it. Yes, different things following. <laughs> English is hard, hard. I know. I like can't like formulate like impressive words today. Um, I can never do that, so it's okay. <laughs> so he said, "I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, what I said that's right to the Constitution, back. Declaration, whatever it is." Yeah. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Mm. I have a dream that um, one day even the state of of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Mm. I just love like he paints like so many pictures in this speech. It's just amazing. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they're not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Mm-hmm. I have a dream today. Oh. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. It's very powerful to hear him say it if you've never like heard it. Yeah, because like, it's recorded from him. Um, but also, I just have to say, again, I love that he like threw... I think it's from the declaration back at everyone. Mm-hmm. At that, yeah. like the first part that you read, like we have these truths, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Yeah, yeah. All men are created equal. Because like everyone knows that phrase, you know, mm-hmm. and to like just like put it in there, I feel like makes such like a poignant statement about like what he was trying to get across. For sure. Yeah. So this speech like kind of cemented his reputation. Um, and he was named Man of the Year, actually, that year by wow. Time Magazine. And then the next year, 1964, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and at that time, he was the youngest person to ever receive it at 35 years old. Wow. So. It's incredible. Yeah. I always feel like he's older, like, by the time he died. I know. And he's not. He's, like, not. like. I know. Old. I, like, didn't even. Like, just the amount of, like, wisdom and, like, the way that he, like, uh, put together curated like the speeches and like his writing and all this stuff is just I feel like so like mature and like wise 
I, I can't think of anything else to say that like like very just wise beyond his years yeah he was only like 39 or whatever when he died like so young i always like i'm always he's like older he's gotta be at that. least like 50 or 60 right i know yeah it's like baffling but like when you do everything young when you graduate when you're 15 and yeah <laughs> but like when he started his whole like campaign like when he got married and stuff he was like not even qualified to like be president or like anything because you have to be 35 to be president yeah like and to like make such like an impact by the time that you're that age i know That's incredible it is cr- it's yeah it's insane like yeah um ellie lost my place again oh yeah so you have the Nobel peace prize wow which... i just want to know how they decide who gets that i don't know you probably gotta do something <laughs> Well, yeah, but, like, who's on the committee of the Nobel Peace Prize? Are they, like, like people who are, like, higher than the people who are doing Nobel Peace? Like, who is, like, the deciding factor? Like, like obviously, he deserved it. But, like, I just want to know, like, who is making these calls? How do I get on this committee? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's just such an interesting thing. I just, yeah. The Norwegian Nobel Committee is responsible, hmm. I guess. Interesting. I don't know. The prize should go to the person who has done the most or best to advance fellowship among nations, the abolition or reduction of standing armies, and the establishment and promotion of peace congresses. There you go. So that was um, from the will of Alfred Noble, who was who founded the awards. Yeah. Okay, so 1964 gets Nobel Peace Prize. 1965, um, his elevated profile drew international attention and kind of violence began to like erupt between white segregationists and peaceful demonstrators in selma alabama Mm -hmm. um where there was like a voter registration campaign Mm -hmm. and it was like captured on television this whole like brutal scene and it outraged many americans and um inspired supporters from across across the country to gather in alabama and take part in the selma to montgomery march led by king and actually supported by president lyndon b johnson who ended up actually sending in federal troops to keep the peace that august congress passed the voting rights act which guaranteed the right to vote to all african americans um which previously the 15th amendment to the constitution was supposed to do that but then Mm -hmm. What happened, I guess, is, um, like, a lot of state and local um, levels kind of put in place, like, barriers. So, like, that wasn't actually happening, I guess. Yeah, they found loopholes to yeah. prevent people from having their constitutional rights. Met. Right. So then the Voting Rights Act um, was signed by Lyndon B. Johnson and kind of eradicated those barriers, I guess. Good. But the events in Selma deepened a growing rift between MLKJ and young radicals who kind of were just like, we need to start being violent. And they just, I guess, didn't want like his nonviolent methods anymore. And they were just getting angry and wasn't moving as quickly as they wanted it to or something, probably. A lot of frustration and stuff, too, understandably. Yeah. So I guess like a few a few years kind of went on with that um i couldn't really find anything Hmm. that happened between like 1965 and like 1968 okay but i'm assuming he just kind of kept you know speaking and preaching and stuff Mm -hmm. um on the evening of april 4th 1968 martin luther king was assassinated um he was standing on the second floor balcony of the lorraine motel in memphis where he and his associates were staying when a sniper's bullet struck him in the neck He was rushed to a hospital where he was pronounced dead about an hour later at the age of 39. Wow. Um, So King had traveled to Memphis to support a sanitation workers strike. And in the wake of his death, a wave of riots swept major cities across the country. And the president and President Johnson declared a national day of mourning. Hmm. And yeah, so there was like rioting, burning, looting in more than 100 cities around the country. Wow. So, um, James Earl Ray, an ex- an escaped convict and known racist, pleaded guilty to the murder, and was sentenced to ninety nine years in prison. Wow. Uh, 
I like put I a link here. I like, come up with like the year amount for like criminals. I know. I don't really get that either. It's like you know, like the the pod, the true crime podcast that we podcasts that we listen to. You always hear like the sentencing will be like, and they are going to be in prison for seventy four years and thirty one days or like whatever. And I'm just always like, how did you come up? Like, why not seventy five? years? I know. <laughs> why not a hundred years for this guy? Right, like ninety nine years. Yeah, like why um, stop at ninety nine? <laughs> So it was kind of weird, though, because apparently no testimony was heard in his trial. And shortly afterwards, he ended up recanting his confession, hmm. claiming he was the victim of a conspiracy. Right. Um, but the government, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, who also investigated the assassination of JFK, oh. fun fact, um, maintained that Ray's shot killed King. Like, they were like, no like <laughs> instead yeah. of seeking out I maybe mean, someone else they're just like no I feel like, like you can't you're... just be like yes i 100 percent killed him and then be like actually just kidding forget that i ever said that it was not me i know that's kind of weird that. that's like like i i want to know what his like reasoning is and like what he thought was gonna <laughs> yeah um but i guess like Members of King's family, including his son Dexter, ended up publicly meeting with Ray in nineteen seventy seven, and began arguing for a reopening of his case, oh. since he was like started recanting his confession. Um, but yeah, like I said, the U.S. government conducted several investigations, and each time apparently confirming Ray's guilt hmm. as the sole assassin. But there's still like. So, like, a controversy around it. Yeah, I guess I wonder, like, how they determined it was him precisely. You know, I'm sure that there's, like, a ton of information about that. Or maybe there's not. But, um, but like, you also wonder if, like, maybe he didn't. Maybe it was a conspiracy. And the government just needed to be able to blame it on someone so that people could have some sort of like peace or something because i know like sometimes in like murder trials someone will get convicted of something and they're like i definitely did not do this and everyone's like you did and then it comes out like 20 years later that they're like no he did not do that and then they're like what did i say and basically it just came down to like well we had to put someone away you know kind of thing right they're yeah huh Oh, but and by the like, way, if you're gonna, if you are like personally going to confess to it, I would be like, I don't believe you when you recount that. Right, right. It's like, why? I don't know. There must have been some sort of deal yeah. he had if he was truly innocent. That if he like was to plead guilty or whatever, then like confess, then he would get something. But or maybe someone was threatening to do something to him. And they yeah. Were like, well, if you plead guilty, we won't kill you. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Um, oh, by the way, his, um, King's wife, Coretta Scott King, um, like when he died, had actually continued the campaign to aid the striking um, Memphis sanitation workers and carried on his mission of social change through nonviolent means. So she oh literally like yeah, her, I know, like, she's so courageous. <laughs> like, your husband was literally just murdered, like. I, like, I'm well, sure people were like, "Are you sure you want to like do this? Are you sure you want to be out in public?" And she, mm -hmm. she like, believed so strongly in it too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So Ray died in 1998, and she said, um, "America." Well, I think she said this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just make sure she said, "America will never have the benefit of Mr. Ray's trial." which would have produced new revelations about the assassination as well as established the facts concerning Mr. Ray's innocence. Oh. So it sounds like she even, like... Like, believed him. Kind of believed, like, I guess he might have been innocent, so... Wow. That's like, really That's upsetting, too. Like, on the flip side, like, well, what if he is innocent and then, like, that person's still out there and he got away with it, like... Right, yeah. But also, it just speaks so much to, like, her character... Mm -hmm. To be like, if you say that, and there might be more to this story, but like, essentially, mm -hmm. like, if you say you did not kill my husband, I believe you and I'm willing to help you get out of this. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Like, that is like, whoa. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could be that big of a person. I'd be like, well, they say you killed my husband, so go I know. not in jail. Like. I know. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Wow. Um. 
So a campaign to establish a national holiday in his in King's honor began almost immediately after his death. Um, and I guess like the idea of like the holiday, there was it was met with like significant opposition. Like critics mm. were pointing to like FBI surveillance files suggesting like King was like adulterous and influenced by like communists and all well, that which the 1950s 60s i guess that would be on the table for people to be skeptical about i guess i mean i don't know people really will say anything i know <laughs> yeah um but then president ronald reagan ended up just signing the um king holiday bill into law in 1983 but the first holiday the first like martin luther king day wasn't celebrated until 1986 oh well i wonder why it took so long i don't know hmm. it's celebrated on the third monday of january yeah that's pretty cool yeah um i can do i just have like some famous quotes um a couple of them i chose great that were some of my favorites um so injustice no nope in nope injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere Mm-hmm. darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that mm. hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that mm. get it <laughs> it snaps okay. our lives yeah no. our lives begin to end the day oh our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter oh that is sobering for sure mm-hmm. i know in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. That is very true. Which, that's yikes. literally like, so true. Yeah. I can think of several situations where that's true in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be a sun, be a star. For it isn't by size that you win or fail. Be the best of whatever you are. Which kind of sounded like a Dr. Seuss quote, but... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he and Dr. Seuss were friends. Yeah, what was that um, Dr. Seuss quote where it was like, be whatever you want to be, like those who matter won't mind or something. <laughs> hmm. Those who mind don't matter and those who matter won't mind or something. Pretty sure that was Dr. Seuss. Let's see. Those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why did we, how did we get on Dr. Seuss? <laughs> So I don't know. I yeah. feel like his like the the I have a dream speech is like so powerful just to like listen to. I can't even imagine like what like listening to one of his actual like in person speeches mm-hmm. would feel like. How like compelling and uh, inspiring, yeah, inspiring it would make you feel. Like I'm sure that was like the source of hope for like so many people. Like I mean, it was seriously, yeah. And I think today, too, even, like, just, mm-hmm. like, remembering his life and his legacy and the stuff that he did is so many people, like, cling to that and um, use it as momentum to continue going when there is, like, some sort of struggle that they're facing or injustice that they're facing. Um, and, like, I feel like his life is, like, like, we, we talk about him, you know. But mm-hmm. it's, like, remembering him and his legacy is so much bigger than just him. It's, like, what he did with all of these other people around him, the the things he established, the, the people who stood beside him. Because, you know, if he had been alone in it, he probably wouldn't have been as, like, influential. Yeah. But to have, like, so many people standing beside him, like, his wife and his parents and, like, his community that he built... I feel like it's like a his life is a testament of what like those people did too. For sure, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I also always forget the fact that he was born like the same year as Anne Frank. I know, and so like you have to think also like he lived through World War Two mm-hmm. as well, right? You know, like not just he wasn't just like born in civil rights movement. Like he grew up yeah. during like that time, so he saw. And heard after the fact the injustices that partly happened to Anne Frank and like other people in Europe and other places around the world because of Hitler and whatever. And I'm sure like part of that like spurred his need 
his desire for uh to speak on behalf and to stand beside like the black community and right yeah. the injustices that were going on right within the u.s at the same time and for hundreds of years before yeah he was like in like like college maybe high school when like the war was going on so yeah wow so crazy times yeah and it's also like that stuff like did not happen that long ago either like you know, know like his death was like almost 60 years ago now but i guess it was it's it still kind of feels like fresh. 55 years ago yeah but it doesn't yeah it doesn't seem like it was all that long ago like when you think about it but then i think about like 1929 and i'm like that was very long ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely totally yeah. different i was thinking about like what people of like our generation will be remembered yeah. like that yeah it, and i'm like i really hope it's not like the kardashians or something yeah <laughs> i mean I really hope we have... there's a place for them but it's not like a big remembrance please <laughs> yeah Let's remember the people who actually like fought for social change and mm-hmm. um who work to continue the lives of everyone for the greater good not just promoting their own products yeah Ugh. yeah yeah <laughs> That was a really interesting and good retelling of his life and legacy. Thank you. Thank you. I hope it wasn't too long. I don't know how long I've been talking. I don't know how long you've been talking either. I feel like it's been a long time. Yeah, well, I guess that's probably probably all we got for you today, guys. Um, If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at Smatter Effect, and we have been posting some interactive polls for our audience and (laughs) we have some fun ideas in the works too yeah i have a lot i have like a whole list of like potential topics that i like really want to research (laughs) yeah i'm excited so all right that's been your smattering of facts okay bye guys bye